irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to L.A. Talk Radio. You're listening to The Power of Love Show, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Welcome to The Power of Love, sponsored by the D.D. Jackson Foundation. We are here to provide hope, resources, and a community so no one feels alone in their grief. I am T.J. Jackson, and I am with both of my brothers, Taj and Terrell Jackson. Say hello, fellas. What's going on? What's up? Hey. I'm sorry. Taj, it's like every time. Turn me up, man. You're up. You're up, my man. What's up? All right. We are live on the Power of Love show, so if you're listening to us right now, thank you for joining us. Later on in the show, we're going to open up the phone lines. Not right now, but we're going to open up the phone lines. And, of course, Twitter is always available. Um, If you want to tweet us, you could tweet us at DDJ Foundation, the letters DDJ, the word Foundation. Or you can call in, not now, but when we open up the phone lines, we can call us in at 323-203-0815. We are not licensed therapists. We're just ordinary people who have experienced loss in our lives. We've been impacted by it, and we've learned from it. And we want to share our opinions and attempt to help you overcome whatever it is you're going through. Saying that, if you need professional help, we urge you to seek it and to find it. Do not just rely on us. Uh, Taj, Terrell, who wants to go first? How was your guys' week? Taj, you can go first. I always go first. Um, My week. I don't remember a lot of it, but I did go to a Buckley Gala, the 85th year oh, how was that um it was interesting uh, so it's not even a reunion class reunion it was no it was a gala but, of but um ponty one of our friends uh he was in charge of of this one and so he asked a couple of alumni to go and so it was interesting it was very cool uh vince vincent hauser mr mm-hmm. hauser to us mm-hmm. um he had a, his his band but his band has um it used to be an orchestra band but now it's like a <laughs> It's like a live band, so they oh, were cool. they were playing all the hits like Earth, Wind, and Fire, <laughs> and, nice. you know, Rock with You, and they were playing some really cool tracks. What was cool. he playing? Huh? He was just chilling, sitting back, oh, okay. smiling, <laughs> okay, <so laughs> like I put nice. this together. Yeah, <laughs> and right. he was proud, which is good. But it was good. It was great. Very good. Uh, Terrell, your week? Um, I had baseball. Yeah, which was good. Uh, we got rained out yesterday, so no practice. We have opening day this weekend which will probably get rained out. Um, but other than that, I was pretty much moving stuff back to the house. I haven't been in the house in a very long time, but we're finally back. So it's different, but it's good. It's not ready. Yeah. But that's uh, that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What you? about you? Um, pretty much the same. A lot of work, a lot of family, a lot of reading. Mm. And a lot of sports. I feel like we're missing something big that happened. I am too, but we I can't think of it. So did, did we see each other like this week for something? I no. feel like we did. We're missing something big, but whatever. Uh, I saw Papa T yesterday. Oh. Yeah, Pops is doing Maybe well. Maybe I saw that. Um he's he's he just told me that I don't even know if it's announced, but screw, I won't say screw it. I can say screw it. Our listeners deserve a little extra. So I'm gonna tell you <laughs> Pops, I'm sorry if I'm ruining this. But he's going on more show dates with his BB King band mm-hmm. um, from April to July, something like that. Yeah. A lot of dates throughout the U.S. So I'm going to try to to get to some of those um, with Royal. And um, no, it's just good. He's 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 he, that's that was awesome. a, that's a really yeah. good thing with BB King. So uh, his band, I should say, the late BB King's yeah. obviously not with us, but his band is is still rocking with with our father. So yeah. it's really cool. Well, I think that what's also cool is that. Pops, you know, had that me- mentorship, or BB King was a yeah. mentor to him, and BB King endorsed Pops, you know, while he was alive. So it's like, it's like full circle nice. in a way. Yeah, you know, BB King was a big inspiration for Pops. So yeah, he's carrying on. Blues is amazing. You guys like your blues? Yeah. Terrell. I, no, I do. I do. I appreciate blues. It's emotion. Yeah. <laughs> I you don't know, know if I part, believe you guys. No, no. The thing that made I me, appreciate it. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm a huge it fan. It made me of think blues. of. Um, it made me think. I don't even know if you were with me. Remember, we were on the the Nam at Nam, and we were on that ele- escalator. Were you on that escalator with me, or did well, I call? What you happened about um, John Mayer? No, Stevie Ray. Well, Stevie. I don't know. I think Remember that's that? sounding vague. And that was the very first. Nothing. I was just like. I told you that. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I told you. Yes. If you like John Mayer or if you know John Mayer, listen yeah, to Steve Raymond. Yeah, yes. I, that, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Were so you with me or was it over the phone? I think I was with you. 
Yeah. I was with you. Yeah, yeah. and that was pretty yeah. shallow. I mean, that blues is the, is the root to a lot of music, you know? So it's like, for me, I appreciate it. That's what I said. I appreciate it because mm-hmm. I understand it's important. You know what, it too? It's, it's very, it's actually relevant for what we're doing here because a lot of blues is stemmed from singing out your, your grief and your struggle and your loss and heartache. And heartache. So it's, you know, a lot of people write. Um, a lot of people paint, do, and a lot of people sing and play yeah. the guitar. So, th- and that's what blues is, and mm-hmm. I think it's that's why BB was so amazing at it, you know, because he had a lot of heart. Uh, I guess that's why they call it the blues. And <laughs> Charles, <laughs> Charles got jokes. I, I couldn't help it. Um, okay, yeah, I don't think they heard you, but he said, like Elton said, right? They heard uh, me. They heard you. They heard okay. me. Um, all, right, all right. So today we have a an amazing guest coming on, um, an author. It's a very fascinating story. Um, she, I, d- I don't know if I should be waiting for her to come on to her to exp- describe it, but should I just go ahead and describe it? Sure. Yeah, g- give a little explanation. A little bit of an yeah. explanation? Okay. Um, well, she's on the phone now, but I'm going to do a, a quick little intro for her. Uh, she, first of all, she's written a book. Mm-hmm. Her book is called Pour Your Soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's won some awards. It's the winner of the 2016 Kirk Kirkus Best Book of the Year, winner of the mm-hmm. 2016 Maine Literary Award, and if you look online, her reviews are outstanding. Mm-hmm. I mean, I Flawless. mean, like five stars. I mean, because that's how at least Taj and I. Oh, that's how I. How always. we purchase things. <laughs> Let's just you can't argue back. with flawless. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I was really impressed. I mean, I'm a book reader, and I'm always looking at reviews, and these book reviews were outstanding. But um, so anyway, without I'm gonna let her describe her story. But we're joined by the author, beautiful, very moving, award-winning memoir entitled "Pour Your Soul," Miss Mira Patasin. Mira, am I saying your name right? Close. 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 I was going to say, yeah. I'd be surprised if he it's was. It's pretty good. I mean, it's it's like a double constant, really hard to put together, but it's Mira Patassin. Oh, like, um, Patassin. Like Patassin, Patassin. but close, Patassin. I did tell you to say Patassin to remember it. Yeah. So <laughs> don't blame yourself. But okay. one correction, um, I, I, I wish I could say I won the entire 2016 Kirkus Book Award Prize, like the number one book, but I was... My book was one of the best books of the year by Kirkus, which is still was a complete enough. shocker. Okay, um, yeah. but Mi- I wasn't I wasn't the the, the financial award winner. <laughs> you that are Mira, you're a special person for even <laughs> <laughs> correcting us for that. You should have let it roll, but it's all good. I should have just let that one go. Yeah. Yeah, it speaks to who you are, and so I appreciate Aww. it. Um, okay, so so we're going to get right into it, Mira. Y- your book details sure. two tragic stories of loss. The loss of your younger brother, Julian, um, who tragically passed from a drunk driving accident at the tender age of 14, and then the loss of your unborn daughter, Lily, with your then-boyfriend, Andrew. Um, you mm-hmm. interviewed... Um, you intertwined these two life-altering stories in such a way that you painted a very clear and beautiful picture of your life and the life of your family growing up in Battle Creek, Michigan. Um, is that all correct so far? That's all. That's all correct. Real, real quick too. Before I get to my first question, I was actually reading another book, um, and I saw Battle Creek, Michigan, and I was thinking, Oh, really? Yeah, it, this was literally like five days ago. Before I knew oh your. What book was it? <sighs> Uh, I was gonna say TJ has the worst <laughs> memory, so that, okay. I knew that I knew that question was coming, and I was just like, <laughs> okay. So so here we go. So n- the reason why I, I was so like I've never heard of Battle Creek, Michigan, and and the book was uh, talking about Kellogg. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. Um, I forgot which Kellogg it is, but it's obviously one of the brothers who who invented the cereal, uh, the brand yes. of Kellogg. So then I was like, oh. Yep. I wonder where that is, and it sure enough is Michigan. Then I see you're from Michigan, so real quick, can you just tell me quickly what is Battle Creek, Michigan? What's it like? Oh my gosh! Well, now that you've heard of Battle Creek, it's going to start popping up on your radar again and again and again. It's just one of those things. But Battle Creek, if you take your right hand and hold it in front of you with your with your palm in front of you, and if someone is listening to this driving, don't do it. Um, <laughs> 
the Battle Creek would be at the bottom, almost at the bottom left-hand corner of the Michigan min, Mitten. And Battle Creek is a small city, about 60,000 people. Um, hmm. it's, it's, it's a homey town. Okay. And it, it, its claim to fame was the Kellogg brothers who invented cereal, uh, like Kellogg's cereal and right. Raisin Bran and all that stuff. But the thing that was really crazy about Battle Creek is that um, this guy, I can't remember if it was, I think it was John Harvey Kellogg. Yes. One of the doctors, Dr. Kellogg. He, um, he also had this, this crazy health sanitarium where really um, wealthy people would come from all over the country, all over the world to visit and yes. do this holistic, futuristic um, And one of those things involved um, eating but some of the other things were like yogurt enemas and um, refraining from any sexual activity yes. and just kind of bonkers stuff. But yes. um, it made him pretty famous and it put Battle Creek on the map. That's how I and know And another too. claim to fame. Oh, was that the book that you were no, reading? No, I was reading. It's, it's a book. I, I believe it's called Blue Lives. And it basically talks about oh. um, the healthiest, the oldest living people on the planet in the, you know, the, the, I should know all these terms, but you know the people that are like hundreds and hundreds and ten years old, where they're from. Yeah, yeah. And it, it one oh, of the one of the spots is actually Loma Linda, California, and it's a very big Adventist uh, area. And yes. I guess that's where Kellogg yeah. uh, he he developed the Adventist religion, and that's how I got there. Something. Like oh, that's that, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and then there was a show, a short-lived show. I think it was called Battle Creek, and it was about cops. It was just like a year ago or two, but it got canceled. Okay. But also, Battle Creek is where Mira Patassin is from. So, yes, you know. our, our wonderful guest. Okay, <laughs> so let's talk about your book, Mira, uh, Pour Your Soul. Family is sure. a major aspect of the story. You are able to like paint a perfect picture of your parents and siblings and capture the essence with, with your amazing writing style. It's clear, huh? clear you enjoy and adore each and every one of your members. Your old, your yeah. older sister Sabina, your your younger brother Julian, your father, the caring and gentle doctor, but the relationship yeah. that I really loved reading about was was your mother, the relationship you you have with oh, yeah. Maria. Um, My mother is larger than life. Tell me um, what that relationship meant for you. Sure. Um, also, I wanted to give a shout out to my mother, Maria Patassin, and to my mother-in-law, Evelyn Jackson. They're both just just bright, bright lights, and really, they they, sh- they light the way for me, because um, I'm still, I'm 38, I'm still learning how to be a woman and mm. how to navigate my way through the world. But really, um, my, my friendship with my mother evolved, um, in the book, but it was also in real time. I wrote this book about a month after I lo- I lost Andrew and my baby, um, and part of the reason I did that is because I couldn't find a way to process all these crazy emotions that I've never really experienced before, um, but I sort of have, but. Um, I couldn't find a way to process everything after losing the baby because um, I, it was just, it was all interconnected to different parts of my life, the way I responded to the grief. And you know, sometimes when you have, when you are grieving something and you have a loss, it, the way you grieve, the, the way your sorrow affects you, you don't, you never are prepared for that. And you can't plan for it. And there's no guidebook to tell you how you're going to respond and what's right or wrong because there's no wrong way to grieve unless you're hurting other people or you're hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, after um, Andrew and I, so the, the short story is that I was um, dating this wonderful man for a couple months and my mother um, and my sister Sabina had signed me up for online dating against my will when I was a graduate <laughs> student in, and I was in a writing school at Sarah Lawrence. I was getting my master's in, in creative writing. And I was so, um, so serious about succeeding as a writer 
that I was like losing weight and I looked like a vampire because I was inside all day working on my writing and um, the only kind of social outings I had were going to poetry readings and, and, and bars with literary events and so my mom and my sister were like enough is enough you need to get out there and meet some other people so um, they signed me up for a date with Andrew online and I, I went for it. He was cute. He was <laughs> and, and and he was also an engineer. So I'm a writer. He is an engineer. It's like um it's like a, a washing machine dating an Excel worksheet. The very different thing. <laughs> Love that. So we we hit it off and we were dating and then about two or three months down the road, um I got pregnant while on birth control pills, never having missed a day. And I freaked out um, for many reasons. Um, the first one was I was just very serious about school. And, and it's not, writing is not a lucrative career. And when you take out a loan from a graduate school such as Sarah Lawrence, which had the, the most expensive tuition at the time in the country, mm. um, when one takes out a loan to be a writer, it's, you got it's like you got to ride or die and or write or die so yeah. so when i found out i was pregnant i was like oh great um and then i felt really guilty about my reaction and i felt really guilty that um you know growing up with a dad who's a doctor after at when i was in high school i went to a public school and often i had huge class size and my dad was a doctor doctor for a lot of these students because we live in a small town and often he'd come home and say, hey, you're so-and-so, your classmate is pregnant. Hey, so-and-so, your classmate is pregnant. So when I got pregnant um, unplanned, even though I was 28, I just felt like I really had dis- would disappoint my parents. Mm-hmm. So there were all these emotions going on, and and there were even deeper emotions of guilt going on that I, I wasn't aware of where those came from. But anyway, fast forward, uh, five months down the road, Andrew and I are engaged, we're planning our wedding, shotgun wedding, trying to act like it's no big deal, trying not to have my parents freak out and worry that this shotgun wedding is only because I'm pregnant and that just I didn't want them to worry. My mom had just had a heart attack. And so um, we find out in the ultrasound that the baby is inviolable outside my womb, that she is has so many random um, defects that mm-hmm. she won't survive outside my womb so I have to make a decision am I going to terminate the pregnancy am I going to do nothing and continue and most likely miscarry or or actually I would miscarry or do I want to induce and deliver a baby that may survive for an hour mm. and that's what and, and well we had gone in to find out the sex of the baby and we leave with all that information and, oh. and wow. it just I, my brain just short-circuited. Wow. And and then um, this was during the summer of grad school, and my grad school was only two years long. So after all this happened, um, r- the listeners can read the book to see what happened, what, what decision I made, but eventually Andrew and I um, got married during the second year of my graduate school, and classes started up again. And I'm in a, a nonfiction memoir class, and I wasn't planning on having this happen, and I wasn't planning on writing about it, but when it came down to sit down and write, there was nothing else I could right think about, about or yeah. concentrate on, even if, I mean, the most I could concentrate on was sitting on the couch, not leaving my apartment, watching The Bachelor, and eating ice cream all day. <laughs> and anything else was just too much, except I felt I found that the only way I could really process my grief and kind of like exercise it out of my brain was to start writing about it. Interesting. And so I wrote about it just right in the wake of all the events that happened. And I just, I just like brain vomited on the page without thinking about it, without editing anything, without trying to make sense of my feelings and out it came. And then, um, I kept going and I kept going and I kept going and then I started tying events from my past in and really exploring my feelings as I was also seeing a therapist, which was very important and very helpful. Yeah. Um, and just trying to process being a, a, a wife now and um, 
and just all these different things. And so um, in one way, I realized that part of the grief came, wasn't just from losing the baby, but in addition to that, it was from losing my brother at a young age. Yeah. And who I was as a teenager around the time that he died and some of those feelings of guilt of just being a jerk as a teenager um, started to rise up. And then also on top of that, my to answer your question, how did my relationship with my mom get to be so tight? It was um, after I was married, I didn't have any friends who were married um, at the time, except my best friend Amanda in Battle Creek, Michigan, but she, we lived so far away from each other, it was hard to be in touch. Mm-hmm. She was busy with a job, yada yada, but uh, my mom was there for me, and I would call her, or she would just call me, and just start kind of laying on the advice, or laying on the perspective of what it's really like to be married and um because often we get this really strange kind of um 1950s housewife picture of what a wife is supposed to be Mm -hmm. and and or it's just kind of implanted in our brains and it i think it's changed a lot lately in the past five years but there's a lot of feminism so much feminism going on which is wonderful but but like with Cosmo magazine and I don't know, different kinds of um, women's magazines from back in the day, you kind of just get this impression of what you're supposed to be like. And I couldn't be any of those things because I was just, I mean, I was literally diagnosed with PTSD and then I felt like I was supposed to jump into being this supportive wife and none of that worked. So So my mom really helped me. Let me ask you a couple questions because you mentioned the Mm -hmm. word the G word a couple times in both the loss of your brother as well as the loss of your unborn child and that G oh, word yeah. being guilt. Um, mm-hmm. How would you say you dealt with it or how did you overcome that guilt? Because guilt's a real thing when we lose a loved one, you know? Yeah. So oh, how, how did you, what, what was big for you to get past that hurdle of guilt? You know, I think, I don't know if, I needed this, but the first thing that came was anger, like real anger, and just, oh, it was horrible. I mean, poor Andrew, um, <laughs> because he was the he was the receptacle of my anger, mm. but he, I mean, it just it's grief is so isolating that when you see the pe- what the people around you aren't in that place. I, for me, I got really angry at them. Like yeah. how Andrew could want to be physically intimate. I was so offended or that he snored at night when I couldn't sleep. Um, yeah. or that my girlfriends were out, um, going to a bar or something. And I just was furious or living in New York city and someone bumping to me, bumping into me on the street. I was just like, do you know what I've just gone through? But um, I kind of, I don't know if I needed to go through that, but I did. And I I don't, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know what, what anger is, is, is um, disguising itself as, but I needed to go through that anger Mm -hmm. um, to start to take action to, to make myself feel good. Yeah. And it went to some really dark places. Um, because I'm just, uh, I'm a very spontaneous person (laughs) or just an excited person about life. So sometimes it went to some dark places. Sometimes I'm Polish too. So very hot blooded at times (laughs) there were plates thrown at Andrew. I mean, a lot of stuff happened, (laughs) but a lot of good things happened too. Like we adopted another dog and, and so things got kind of dark until we got to this point where. Andrew and I looked at each other and said, what's the most important thing for us? For us individually as humans, but also us as a, as a team, as a couple, how can, we, how can we take care of this? How can we not get divorced? And how can we not be depressed? And what we ended up doing after going through all that anger was um, hightailing it out of New York City. And we, we kind of threw a dart, so to speak, on the Love calendar. It. I picked a date and and Andrew quit his job and I can't quit my job because I'm a writer, so I can only get work. <laughs> <laughs> so I was game for anything. 
and we just packed up and we moved to, to Maine. I love and it. we we had about a thousand dollars and two dogs and a U-Haul truck and we we moved to we lived in a super eight motel for a week until we could find a place to live. And now we live on a, a magical little island in Maine called Peaks Island, P E K S. And it's population about 800 people. And wow. we own a house with a backyard and two dogs. We have two kids, two wonderful children, um, Simone and Theo, age two. Simone is two and Theo's four. And this is an amazing island where we just, our lifestyle is a little slower. Um, there's a land, a nature preserve here. Our house has a view of the ocean. Um, it's beautiful. We, it's a slower life. and. And it, and also my parents are moving to Maine. Um, so you convinced them to come out? Yeah. Wait, wait, say that again? <laughs> I said you convinced them to come out to Maine as well. I didn't. My kids did. Oh, <laughs> the magic so I was kids. like, well, come on, guys, here. And finally, when they got enough, um, got, got, fell so much in love with our children, they just pulled the plug, and, and they're moving here in about so, a month. That's so beautiful. I mean... I kind of did a similar thing, not too much, but I know that feeling of, of slowing down your life and moving to yeah. a slower, you know, more clearing, um, just a more open lifestyle. And I, I, right. I'm kind of jealous of it. I'm in Los Angeles right now, but it's something that I think about literally once a week is just living a slower and, and, and you know, uh, changing, your changing the surroundings. It's a beautiful thing. So I commend you guys for doing yeah. it. And, and, and you know, you all of you are always welcome to come visit Aww. us on Peaks Island. And you can stay in our little guest room. That is so um, sweet. Andrew's yeah. actually building me a, a writing shed in our backyard. We're, we're going to get some chickens soon. <laughs> that is so cool. Um, so it's you, wonderful. And really, you can come anytime you want. That is so sweet. You, you know what's so cool? <laughs> um would you say your situations, your your struggles, your your difficult times kind of preempted or kind of pushed you to make this change? Yeah. Yeah. For totally. sure, right? I mean oh totally. Um I don't so know. Great. Like when I was in New York, I moved there to be a writer. That's it. I don't know what made me want to be a writer. I think I just have this like I need to get my feelings out of me and communicate them to the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, I, I think I used to be a musician and I think having the training of just rhythm and, um, just knowing rhythm and hearing rhythm and things, um, that plus being able to really take my time and choosing my words. And also I think I'm pretty good at talking about my feelings. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think I've always needed to be a writer. I think that's the, a writer or maybe like a puppy or a person who just cuddles puppies all day that could have been my other job but <laughs> writer is the thing for me and so I moved here to Europe but I got so obsessed with success and like the game and networking and all that stuff that I forgot about the yeah. like the God yeah. that I you know God and just love and, and the, the things that things. make me feel alive yeah and, and why I want to write or the beauty that I see in things. So, I, I mean, I, I forgot about my craft and, yeah. and, and like, even when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to write about or what books I wanted to read, it was always like, what are the newest books that came out and what are the trendy things to write about? But once I moved here, I don't, I have my favorite bookstore, print bookstore on Congress Street, um, Emily Russo and Josh, the best bookstore. I buy my books there, but I always pick out the books that I'm motivated to get. Like yeah. now I read a lot of old, old books and E.B. White is my inspiration. And I just write about really simple things um, well, or well, things that I wouldn't have found in New York City. Which is so important. And I think it's very important that our listeners understand that, um, that, you know, yeah. especially our young ones who are who are you have the biggest goals and biggest dreams and go to the big cities. Um, it's great. I'm never going to knock what you believe you should do, but don't be afraid yeah. to to change it up. If it's not meant to be, it's not. If it's not for you, don't don't be afraid. And even even in a situation where it's you know you're spending a couple months out of the year at a slower pace at a, at a at a different environment, it's very healthy to unplug 
and to, to oh, yeah. reconnect with all the simplicity of life and the beauty of simplicity of life. So um, oh, totally. I think you I, think I mean, I just ordered a, a landline today. <laughs> I love it. Uh, <laughs> I really did. Yeah. Um, okay. Did you? Did you yeah. Want to listen to yeah. It's along the lines of what we're all discussing. Um, you said you were an artist and you did music and writing, and I'm sure you're very creative. I, I was just wondering, do you ever think about what would? I mean, m- moving to Maine was a big move and a big step. Do you ever wonder um, what kind of artist or what kind of writer you would be had you stayed in New York? And I'm hmm. I'm curious. Oh. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious. That's a really good question. Yeah, I'm curious because, and and also you seem very happy. Do you think you would would still have that same kind of happiness that you have now? From the moment we called you, you've had a great energy. I'm just wondering, have you ever thought, what if I stayed in New York? Do you think anything would be different? Yeah, I think, for one, I would probably be much chubbier because the food in New York is everywhere and it's so good. That's not anything to do with art. But um, I probably, I don't know if I would have kids. Um, maybe, because when, when we had kids, it was kind of like this primitive desire. It wasn't anything thought through or logical. When we had Theo and Simone, it was like, let's do this. I don't know why, but let's do this. Um, but in New York, I, I think maybe we still wouldn't have kids. I'm hoping that we wouldn't have gotten divorced. We, we're not divorced, but I'm hoping that we would've would have stayed together. Yeah. Um, I I guess I have faith in myself based on my upbringing and who I am that I would have um, continue. I mean, I, I had written my book when I was in New York, sort of. I mean, I when it, it was a long process, but most of it was written by the time I left New York. Um, and there was like a, an epilogue written once I moved to Maine. But I think that probably would have continued writing, but I would have just been sort of unhappy as a person mm. um, because I, I'm really sensitive to my surroundings. And New York um, was really, at first it was really intimidating for me. And then I got some serious calluses around my, my heart, if you will. And it made me tougher and fearless, but um, it was hard to break that down to write about the things that I cared about. Um, so I'm not really sure. Maybe I would have been a little more successful in the um, the, the mainstream field. Right. I would have probably hustled to get into like a good magazine or, or some kind of publication, maybe tried to be a staff writer, something like that. But um, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I'm not quite yeah. sure. That's great. Can, let me, Pour Your Soul is the name of your book. Where did that title come from? Oh, so Pour Your Soul is not spelled um, P-O-U-R, like pour a glass of water. It, like pour out your soul. It's actually P-O-O-R, pour your soul. And that kind of translates to your poor soul. And, and that's a catchphrase from growing up with a mom who has English as a second language and she learned English from she's Polish, so she learned English from watching American soap operas. Mm. So her English is very um, dramatic, and um, <laughs> so when she would tell us as kids, you know, if I catch you watching television on a school night, poor, she would point her finger at us and squint her eyes and say, "Poor your soul," and that translated to "Your poor soul is going straight to hell." So, anytime she said "pour your soul," we knew she was serious. She didn't, she didn't bust it out often, but if she did say "pour your soul," we were we were kind of stunned and too silent. Mm. So that's where the title comes from. Okay, and then I have a, a quote I want to read from your book, "Pour Your Soul." Okay. Um, you said, "We have trauma and we have grief. People dying, we find it baffling, painful, inexplicable." Grief is baffling. There are theories on how we react to loss and death, how we cope, how we handle loss. Some believe the range of emotions mourners experience is predictable, that grief can be monitored, monitored as if mourners are following a checklist. But sorrow is less of a checklist, more like water. It's fluid. It has no set shape, never disappears, never ends. It doesn't go away. It just changes. 
it changes us. Mm-hmm. Can you just elaborate a bit more and on that quote? Sure. Um, let's see. I think the thing that influenced that quote was a was a book that I read about a person grieving, and it it's one of the only books that I've really broken down crying after reading, and I so. I think of the biggest sorrow of my life is not the loss of our unborn child, but the loss of Julian, because because um, I knew him for 14 years, and and all of a sudden, without warning, he's gone. Um, so yeah. So what I le- I read a book called Half a Life by Darren Strauss, and it's amazing. And he writes about um, when he was a a kid, uh, like a maybe a 16-year-old or something, he was driving a car with his friends, sober, they were just kind of going for a minute for golfing, and a girl on a bike swerved into the road in front of them all of a sudden, and the car hit her and she died. And he, he, he can't figure out if it was an accident or if it was suicide or what, but when he was at her funeral, the young girl's mom said to him, now you have to live half of your life for her. And so that really shook him up. And so half a life later, when he is, you know, two times older than he was when he killed, when the girl was killed, um, he wrote this book. So it's half a life. And and I was reading this book, and towards the end, he says something like, um, you know, the grief you're going to carry it around you like it's a, a heavy, heavy rock in your pocket, or your your sorrow is going to be like this heavy rock in your pocket. And at first, it's just weighing you down. But eventually, the key, the more moving and moving your body and living your life, you're going to develop muscles that you can work around that sorrow, and it just makes you stronger. Mm. So, um, like, I, so I started to realize that I'm still learning that, like, Julian died, and that is his life. That was his story. We don't know where he is now. No one knows. He could be still out there somewhere. Who knows? Um, but that was his story, and it's not my story. And so it is okay for me to keep going and for me to continue living my life and yeah. be stronger because of the life that I've lived and things that I've experienced. And and sorrow doesn't have to be this thing of shame or this thing that we always blame for our unhappiness. It can be something that we take eventually after we've grieved and we have to grieve, but if we just take the sorrow and as you brothers are doing and you, you make something good out of it and it becomes like a muscle for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and talking about Julian's passing in your story, I'm going to read another quote that, that seems very similar to what you just said. Um, here's the quote, a boy dies and a new dialect is employed, a robotic cautious tongue and all conversations are restricted to simple topics that are easy to understand. All things neutral, topics that everyone can agree on, subjects that will ruffle no feathers or remind us that we cannot beat death. Lasagna, fruit salad, they offered no one. But all this fades. Mm-hmm. The cards stop arriving. The flowers wilt. People fall back into their regular routines. People move on. Who can blame them? Life must move on, just as the boy moved on. The company eventually retreats. Some remain, but for the most part, after the drama evaporates, you're left alone to figure out what to do. And I'm going to read one more, one more thing. The dynamic of the mm-hmm. family shifts, too. It contracts, expands, tightens, and weakens. A week after Jules died, we took to our bases. Dad had sick patients that needed to be taken care of. Your sister, Sabina, drove back to college in Ann Arbor, two and a half hours away. And you and I was failing math and couldn't miss any more school. A week after f- the funeral, we all got back into the game. Life kept going, but we were just going through the motions. Mom said we have to be present. Can you just expand yeah. on that a bit? I think that's very powerful, by the way. Because, real quick, because I love how you talk about how you, family, the family dynamics change. Everyone goes through different things, and we all have different pulls. Some of us have obligations we have to get back to. Some of us may have more time to, to let it you know, seep into us. Everyone goes through it differently, um, and, and you know, the world keeps moving on. Mm-hmm. So I think that was yeah. so profoundly how you said it. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. 
I like what you said better. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's still like that. You know, my mom and my dad, too, are just... Well, back then, I think we all... We just... We were kids. I was a kid and wanted to look towards someone just to take care of me. But at that point, my parents had to take care of themselves. And then they had to take care of each other. Because so many people... so many, I've read that it's nearly impossible for couples to stay together after they lose a child. Mm. The divorce rates just skyrocket. And, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, I knew. Oh yeah. I'm pretty sure maybe it's different, but I just remember you're getting a, a, about, you're getting a big nod from Taj. So he, he knew that as well. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Um, but I remember my, my mom back then we were all a mess, but, but later, you know, after I lost baby and my mom started, and I started really bonding as women, she told me that um, she and my dad just committed to counseling and being there for each other and committed and made a pledge to one another that they would take care of themselves so that the family didn't fall apart. Mm. And they couldn't exactly take care of my sister or me because they were, and they were trying, but they were also working full time, overtime. And um, trying to take care of themselves and their marriage, but um, after talking to my mom years and years after it happened, um, she she said like if she hadn't kept moving, she would have fallen apart. And and that's one thing um, she kind of convinced me to do eventually after I lost the baby is just keep going, keep moving, keep going. I mean, I couldn't drop out of grad school. I had to keep writing. I had to keep moving and grooving. Otherwise. Gosh, I don't know what would have happened. I would have. I don't know what happens when you stay in depression for a really long time. But you just have to. You just like she said. You have to stay present and you have to focus on one thing at a time, but also move forward. That's great. Which is a hard thing to do every single day for yeah. everybody. I think. Yeah. Very strong. What you just said, Taj. Did you want to say something? Um, I had a couple questions. Um, sure. Um, how w- once you uh, lost your baby how long did it take you to you and andrew um to decide that you wanted to try again oh let's see and whose decision was that 2008 i i didn't want kids at all Mm -hmm. after that and i my mom and i talk on the phone every single day Mm -hmm. and soon we'll be talking to each other face to face almost every single (laughs) day but we talk to each other every day on the phone and when when I lost the baby, one thing she said to me was, you'll feel better after you have another baby. And I was so mad about that and um, just felt like she did not understand me and I, I didn't want to. Um, and it was out of the question. And then when we moved to Maine in, well, I think it was 2012, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, maybe 2012. Um, we had this like totally fresh slate and we were in a really fresh environment. I mean, we were among pine trees and ocean Nature, and, yeah. and had nothing, kind of like nothing to lose. And um, I also had been, I started running a lot. I, I ran a marathon actually and was just a big runner. And we were, I was running like 12 miles a day. Now I don't even think I could run one mile, but <laughs> 12 miles a day. And I was super, I felt really in control of my body and, um, and just felt, strong and mentally and physically and also kind of felt like you know if this doesn't work I've been through the worst I'm I'm okay with whatever happens so we just kind of went for it um Andrew was totally game because he didn't have to do much (laughs) and he was happy trying to get pregnant and so I got pregnant with Theo my son Theo within like a month and he ended up being uh, 10 pounds and I was so huge when I was pregnant that that they did an ultrasound to make sure I could actually deliver him and in the ultrasound he ended up being 11 pounds so he came out the next the, after the ultrasound he came out I mean it was more than a good ultrasound and he came out um, like the day before my due date and they had to have a, give me a c-section because he was like the size of a four-month-old baby wow. So everything went perfectly with Theo. And then we, again, a couple years after that, we just said, want to go for it again? Let's, let's give it a try. 
and within a month I was pregnant with my daughter Simone and then shortly I think shortly after I found out I was pregnant with her I found out that um, someone wanted to publish my book which had been a hard battle to get someone to publish the book actually Um, that's beautiful it took me about eight years it took me about a year to write and about eight years to find someone to publish it Mira I have one more quote we're running out of time but I have one more quote from your book that I, I have to share um, sure. It's it's it seems like an intimate kind of conversation you had with Jules. Um, you uh-huh. said on your last human day, I was leaving the house, and you said to me, "See you, scrub." Then you threw a sock at my face. Then you died. To me, it's just so crazy that one day I see you, and the next day your eyes are in somebody else's body. You throw a sock, and then you're gone. You become a memory, a ghost, just like that. For me, the idea is still taking some getting used to. You died and we were taken to a different place. We didn't choose to be the survivors, but we chose to survive. After you died, Mm -hmm. Mom said we must be responsible for ourselves, that we must be strong. After you died, Dad told me this. Individually, we will have trouble, but when we come together, we are strong. We press on. I think that's that's very powerful, well-written, and, you know, it's true true and personal Mm -hmm. and... And I thank you for sharing that because I think that's very, very right on. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's it's my family. They, yeah. they are the most amazing people in, I've ever encountered. Yeah. You guys are up there, too. They're just amazing. That's that's great. Um, okay. Well, I have another question. Did you, did you have anything? Yeah. Caritage? No, go ahead. I can go? Okay. I have another question for you. Knowing what you know now, in a hypothetical situation, if someone lost their younger brother in an accident just yesterday, what would you tell them? Oh, my gosh. I would say do what you got to do to grieve. I would say... Don't try to fix your feelings. Um, I would say you're going to feel awful and a load of feelings that you've never felt before. But embrace those feelings and try to kind of love them and nurture them. And instead of hate them or run away from them, but kind of hold them and hug them. And eventually they'll turn into something good. And don't force anything to go away. Don't run from it. And also ask for help. Ask Mm -hmm. to talk to people. Um, And don't isolate yourself. Unless you need time to yourself. But reach out to loved ones. um, And know that this is going to be a part of you for the rest of your life. And that you will make your own, kind of curate your own life from now on that will be full of meaning Mm. for you and for the person you've lost. That's beautiful. And sometimes the best way to to help yourself heal is to help other people. I think Uh, that that is actually the best way to help heal. I I think you you hit a lot of things that we talk about, um, the importance of not isolating yourself, the importance of, of... understanding and and trying to learn about what you're what you're going through the importance of helping others and connecting um i yeah i I, I appreciate it i'm gonna ask you thank you i'm gonna ask you one more quick question we have about a minute and a half you just told me what you would say for someone who just lost their their brother now if what would you tell someone who (laughs) and i know everyone's situation is different but what would you tell someone, a mother, expecting mother, who just lost their their baby? That would I would this? tell her that it's not your fault, and um, your health is just as important as the the baby you've lost, and there's nothing wrong with you. Um, and talk about it as much as you want. Um, the the word vagina is not taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are still powerful and healthy. And if you want to try again, you can. That's what I would say. And talk about it. I think it's good to talk about it. Okay. And then I, I have one more. You sorry. 
I have one more. Yeah, yeah. What would you tell all those couples who are dealing with so much of this kind of a trauma or struggle? Oh, man. How to get through it. And what, what, what advice would you give them in terms, from a, from a woman's perspective, from a wife's perspective? What would you tell oh, them? Oh, man. I would say try not to fight about being the, be- the bigger martyr. <laughs> and um, actually, I'm still learning this, but one way to um, feel better is to like, make your partner feel better. Mm. Um, and, and continue to evolve as a person. Um, spiritually, especially, but um, just it, it, you're never going to be able to say who suffered more, so just don't try to go there. But um, just try to continue to be a team and spend a lot of time outside if, if possible. I would say that too. Ah, I like that. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, well, Mira, we're we're out of time, but I wanted to really That's okay. thank that was you. Wonderful. I, it was a great educational thing for all of us and our listeners and we thank you so much for joining us thank you for sharing um yes. mira's book is pour your soul you can get it at independent bookstores you can get it pretty much anywhere um but another thing i want to say and we didn't get to talk about it is mira's in the process of writing another book um it's not out yet she's writing it and mira we got to have you back when that one gets released so oh, we could talk about that and- one you ever want to fly out to Maine, you call me. <laughs> so sweet. Mira, thank you so much. Make sure you tell Andrew, Theo, and Simone, right? Yeah, yeah. Tell... I'm actually going to go meet them outside. They're riding bikes on the street right now. So beautiful. You guys enjoy your wonderful life in Maine. Stay positive and keep riding because you're touching and, and influencing a lot of po- people in a positive way. So All right. Well, keep thank it going. you guys and peace be with you. Thank you thank so you. much, Mira. Take care. Sweet. That was yeah. that was great. Yes. Excellent. Excellent, right? So again, her book is Pour Your Soul with Mir Patassin. Not Patassin, but Patassin. Um, and like I said, the reviews all over online are, are really, really strong. Check out the book. A couple of the reviewers are just basically saying it's very heartfelt, very personal, very authentic. Um, even a lot of the critical ones are Pour Your Soul is exceptional for its honest eloquence about complicated and deep emotions and experiences. Pour Your Soul is, at its core, a story of perseverance, warm, honest, thoughtful, and funny. That is our show. Terrell, Taj, anything else you guys want to say to close it? I just think she's very strong, and, um, you know, she went through some very difficult times, and it just goes to show you that the sun will shine again, you know, no matter how dark it is. Taj? Well said, Terrell. Well no. said, right? Yeah. I think we got to close it with that. Yeah. All right, so that's it. I'm not going to say another word. We're going to close it with Terrell's thought. Anything else, Mr. Jackson, you want to end with? Since that was such a good little ending. Yeah, I want to say thank you to Caitlin. Okay. Uh. (laughs) All right, you guys. Much love to you all. Have a wonderful Wednesday and have a great week. Thank you for listening to The Power of Love. We are here to provide hope, resources, and a community so no one feels alone in their grief. Support for our Power of Love radio show comes from a variety of generous donors, including supporters from institutions, individuals, and corporations through the D.D. Jackson Foundation. D.D.J.F. is a nonprofit 501c3 organization.